Um, but I think large companies, uh, many large companies realize that they can't be innovative um, enough on their own. Large companies are not made to be innovative, they're, made, they're a machine made to run an existing business. Um, and there's very many different motivations and pull factors when it comes to starting a startup versus running an existing business. You're listening to Sales in Asia, your gateway to sales practices in Asia, and I'm your host, Benny Tan. Today, we're speaking with Andrew Shuttleworth of Agorize. Agorize helps organizations accelerate innovation from seed to execution while connecting companies, startups, and talent at scale. Andrew is the head of business development for the Japan and Asia Pacific region, also known as JPEG. He brings more than 20 years in the tech and startup scene, including 17 years in Japan. He spent eight years in Apple while there, which led him to Singapore five years ago. He is very well versed in the technology innovation and cloud space, an avid runner and recently started brewing his own sake. We will be discussing startups and innovation in Asia. In the first of three episodes, we'll get to know Andrew and find out why and how he landed in Japan for 18 years. We'll learn more about Agorize and the work they do to help companies find and drive innovation and we'll get his take on innovation and the startup scene in Asia. Thank you for joining us. So let's get started. Thank you very much for joining us on the inaugural podcast of Sales in Asia. And thank you for taking the risk of being my inaugural guest. So I hope not to screw it up too badly. Uh, but uh, and thank you anyways. And uh, we will, you know, and appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your story, you know, perspective uh, around startups uh, and innovation in Asia. Thank you, Benny. Great to be here. So for the benefit of our guests, uh, could you kindly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and your the work that you're doing today? Uh, great, yeah. So um, very fast coverage of my history, um, I guess 20 plus years in Asia, originally from the UK. So I spent around 18 years in Japan after working just eight months in the UK. I uh, did various roles there, working in a startup, uh, with startups, doing an event for startups uh, with Apple uh, for nine years, which brought me over to Singapore five years ago. Um, and now I'm working for a French company. Um, we have a platform and services for helping large companies uh, manage their innovation process and connect with startups. Right. Thank you. I think you you do have a very uh, diversified and uh, experience, especially uh, taking such a big risk uh, moving from the UK. So this is kind of I was looking at your profile and 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 I was very impressed with what you have been able to achieve. So after working in your initial job in the UK for three years, you kind of packed your bag and then moved to Japan where you lived for about almost 18 years, right? And that is, uh, I suppose, where you met, uh, met and married your wife. Uh, uh, well, yeah, that's interesting. Actually, it was just eight months in the UK. So I, I studied Japanese at university. And when I joined the company, it was my goal to move out to Japan. I, I thought it would take three years, but actually within eight months, I was already in Japan. So it, it's hard to believe at this stage that things happen that fast. It seemed like um, seemed like much longer at the time, but yeah, that, it, was a, it was a fast move. 
Yeah, I well, uh, well, that's that's uh, that's very impressive, you know. And uh, we when you were studying uh, Japanese in the uh, UK, I suppose you were already thinking of moving to you know, to Japan. And like you said, you know, you were expecting to to do that in two years, but you ended up ended up there within eight months, right? In summary, if I look at your your experience, you know, you have rich experience working in corporate startups and building communities both in Japan as well as now in Asia for the last five years. So a few big questions for you. Uh, first one is, of course, why Asia and why specifically Japan? Well, um, big question. So, I mean, yeah, I guess it was specifically Japan. Um, it's a short story, really, but uh, Japan was booming in the 1980s. Uh, I mean, I started studying Japan in, in the mid-90s, but by that time, there had been many business books written about the success of Japanese business. Mm. Um, and and I guess the the business aspects, the culture aspect, um, attracted me to Japan. And then so that was the pull factor. I guess it was a push factor of also getting out of the UK. Um, I hadn't really traveled much when I was younger, so I, I did want to um experience the world uh, so to speak um but then i also i was i guess not very happy in the uk with um what i found around a lot of negativity there um a lot of cynicism um didn't really like the, the japanese uh so the british press um and the way the the politics worked so um i was kind of ready to leave and explore have better waters Okay, so so if you were to look back today, you know, do you have uh, any regrets, and uh, would you have done anything differently? Like, for example, maybe leave, come, go to Japan earlier or later. Yeah, it's a great question, and I would say there there is a downside to it, um, but I'm I'm not sure it would lead to regret because you can only really choose one path. And I think uh, as a young person growing up in in Japan or a young business person growing up in Japan, it, it, it did kind of limit my career options for sure. Um, and the, I mean, I spent a large part of my time struggling with the language and uh, struggling uh, to work in a different culture. Um, and I think my career trajectory would have probably been quite different had I continued to work in the UK. Uh, having said that, I know those 18 years in Japan, which uh, can't really be replaced. And I, I've been through a lot of things there. So I, I kind of have a relatively deep understanding of the culture. Um, and so I think that will stand me in good stead uh, for, the, for the long term. I, I do plan to go back at some point, uh, probably maybe in around 10 years or so, uh, kind of build, rebuild my career there and then have a, a good retirement career there. Mm. Um, and so I don't think it's a regret, but sometimes I do wish my my career had kind of taken off a little bit faster than it did. Okay, so so when you say that you uh, you're planning to go back, let's say in ten years, you are are you referring you you are referring to Japan, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Just want to be clear. Thanks for that clarification. So how, you know, you mentioned a little bit about, uh, you know, the initial struggles about the language and the culture barriers, but, uh, you know, obviously you have survived, not only survived, but thrived through all that. So what made you uh, take that move from Japan to uh, to Singapore five years ago? Sure. Yeah. So, um I, I like to learn through experiences. And um, after 18 years in Japan, I'd kind of experienced and learned um, a lot. Um, and I guess the novelty and the, the learning curve had, had kind of tapered off by that point. Um, and so just career-wise, it was it was good for me to find a new place to get experience. Um, 
I didn't want all my eggs to be in one basket in terms of just being dedicated to Japan. We don't know what the economy is going to be like in, in Japan in, in, in 20 years or so. Um, and then just lifestyle-wise, it was after 18 years again in Japan, I'd kind of I traveled the whole country, all 47 prefectures, and probably had most of the foods uh, you can eat there um, and see most of the places. So, yeah, it was time to uh, kind of live in a different place and have a different experience. Yes, and, and I think when we met recently, you told me that uh, you have uh, taken up an interest in uh, making your own sake. So we'll talk about that maybe for a little bit more later. So um, okay, so let's let's talk a little uh, about the startups and innovation in Asia. So uh, clearly, I think today, uh, the startup ecosystem is thriving. Uh, despite the, uh, the the recent uh, you know fluxes that we're seeing in terms of layoffs and so on, but uh, it's certainly and you know it's it's an economy that people should pay attention to. Um, so, in your words, what does innovation mean to you? And then we'll talk. And I'd like to get your views on what you have seen as uh, you know one of the best and more interesting innovations you've seen uh, throughout your years since you've landed here. So, but first of all, what does innovation mean to you? Well, that's a that's a really deep question. I'm not, I'm not sure I'll answer it um, as good as, as some people could. Uh, but for me, it's really, um, it's kind of obvious, but it's about uh, doing things new and differently, uh, challenging the status quo, uh, taking some risks, um, and really just kind of taking the world forward uh, in a better way. You've been here for so many years now, so maybe a uh, a very general question maybe um could be a loaded question but uh i leave it up to you if you're if you're comfortable answering it in your view are asians innovative i i think there's innovative people in every every society and and people innovate in different ways um so people traditionally look at silicon valley as the center of innovation um, but really, that wasn't led, and I'm going to quote something I, I heard just yesterday, actually, from a, a good friend, uh, Mike Alphon, who was actually visiting from Japan. Mm. Um, but he was saying that basically Silicon Valley um, sprung up from the Apollo program. Um, and so uh, his quote was that entrepreneurs don't create opportunity, they follow opportunity. Mm. Um and so Silicon Valley is well known for innovation, um, but it was driven by an opportunity and a lot of money, uh, which went into funding the Apollo program. Right. Um, I think people do do though try to create opportunity to some extent, uh, depending on what their their drivers are. Um, but I think there's there's kind of got to be a balance of incentives there as well. Um, by nature, innovators innovators are innovative, right? So they're not going to try something that they think is impossible. Uh, they're going to go on and and find find where their idea um, has has opportunity. Right. Um, and and if we look at the the kind of developing economies as well, I mean, you could say that people selling goods or fruits on the streets is is innovative in some ways or or selling souvenirs to, to foreigners, right? People mm-hmm. need to to find a way to to live and make money. And some people kind of sit back and they they just kind of they're happy with um a day job and and just kind of uh, going towards retirement. But other people either have a need um or a drive for innovation. And I think it's it's not particular to anyone. 
uh, geography. Um, it's, right. it's more particular to the person and the needs that those people have. Right. I think I think there's a lot to unpack here in your in your answer. I think uh, it's very interesting to know uh, about what you said that uh, innovation from Silicon Valley really was born out of the Apollo program, and uh, and of course you know we maybe you and I were we're similar age, maybe me a little bit older, but uh, you know we've gone through the age of uh, the Silicon Valley, uh, particularly the dot com bubble bust. Right. And we're seeing a little bit of that, you know, which is like the startup winter that we're facing at the moment. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, where we are with startups in, in the world, you know, Asia, especially uh, regions like Asia, Southeast Asia is really the hub or what or what they call for me um, coming to a golden era of startups. Right. So things have changed a lot since let's say you know uh, 2000 but just a quick question here we are seeing a little bit of uh, fall off from uh, from the ipos if you look at what's happening with the some of the recent ipos uh like grab bukalapak you know go to and so on you know where that are had have lost maybe about 60 maybe even even 70 percent of the uh of their of their market value um are we facing a startup winter in Asia, you know, particularly in Southeast Asia, in your view? Um, well, it depends how you de define a, a winter, I guess. But the, the one thing that's certain about winter is that spring and summer will follow. Um, so we're, we're in the middle of, of waves. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a startup winter. Um, because that would suggest people are are just going to stop doing startups and stop being innovating. It's going to be tough for startups. Mm -hmm. um, the ones that that don't don't make it um, probably didn't deserve to make it in most cases. Um, so it's it's kind of good to kind of refresh the system and 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 maybe remove those companies that were were really just not focused on on the right things or didn't have the right business models. Mm -hmm. um, but I like to I like to refer to surfing, even though I've never never surfed before, and, and refer to waves. And the analogy I like to make is that um, if you're going to surf a wave, um, in, in terms of a wave of business coming, uh, you don't really don't want to try and jump on that wave while it's right here, right? So while you're at the the peak of the economy and things are going on, because it's kind of too late. You want to start preparing for that wave. Um, early on and then as the wave starts coming you want to start paddling so that when the wave arrives you're you can ride on top of it and mm. so i think it's it's pretty common now pretty common knowledge having been through uh different waves of, of ups and downs that people say um, a down wave is the best time to really be starting a business right. um, and the first few years of your business are probably going to be trial and experimentation anyway um and so yeah i think if you're if you're a startup where you're looking to get in a startup obviously you need um some money to kind of survive and do that um but also it's 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 a time when there's less jobs out there as well right so it's, it's right. you're you've kind of got less opportunity cost of, of working in a normal job potentially um so it's a good time to be um starting a, a startup Okay, so so you think that there are you know real opportunities? Uh, I mean, there there will continue to be opportunities uh, right now in the startup world, and of course, you know we you work with with Agorize, uh, which facilitates uh, innovation and startups. Uh, you know for. 
um, you know, for companies who are, you know, who are for people who are trying to innovate and come up with new things, or even for you know companies internally to uh, uh, to promote uh, innovation, right? So, could you tell us a little bit more about the, what Agorize is doing, and in particular, uh, what do you do uh, to help uh, startups and and innovation? Okay, great. Yeah, great question. Well, there's 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 a few different areas that we help with, but let me split it into two um, in terms of open innovation, which is corporates working with startups, mm-hmm. and then internal innovation, which is employees kind of giving their ideas and being innovative internally. And um, right. there's a whole spectrum of, of different varieties of that. Um, but I think large companies, uh, many large companies realize that they can't be innovative um, enough on their own. Large companies are not made to be innovative. They're made, they're a machine made to run an existing business. Um, and there's very many different motivations and pull factors when it comes to starting a startup versus running an existing business. Mm. So one of the models that's kind of sprung up to help companies overcome that issue is our partnering with startups or bringing in technologies from outside. Mm. Uh, the question is, how do they find the right startups to work with? And uh, the kind of open innovation challenge model is one that's come up where companies will work to identify different problem statements or different areas of opportunity. They'll put out an open call uh, for startups to present their ideas or solutions to these problems. And then they'll work down a funnel from maybe a few hundred applications down to 10 finalists to three grand finalists. Um, just getting a, giving rough numbers there. Um, and then those those potentially three or 10 finalists they'll choose to work with in, in some form or other. Um, right. Ideally, that would be some specific uh, POC, proof of concept, which is, is funded by the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a great model for corporates to bring in ideas from the outside. But I think it's also really great for um, startups and the startup ecosystem as well. Um, right. So I've worked uh, in kind of a couple of startups. Um, uh, I guess I, I tried to start my own as well, but realized uh, that wasn't for me. Um, but when I did, I, when I was working my my last company, which was a cloud services company, kind of still on the, I guess, startup scale up phase, mm-hmm. um, I did join some open innovation contests and it was really good to be able to hear specifically about the problems the business was facing, the challenges they had, and be able to put in a very specific uh, solution to that problem. Um, so we're probably going to talk about sales later, but um, especially as a startup, it's hard to sell into large corporations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being part of a, a startup challenge can really be a, quite an accelerator uh, for your business from the startup perspective. Okay. Uh, so that's I, one. I'm, I'm sure you've got questions. So let me talk briefly about the other so we don't lose track. I don't forget to cover that. But the other one is, is much simpler. It's internal innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's making sure you get ideas from your uh, employees um, and then maybe in the same way, kind of narrow them down to kind of three finalists, 10 finalists or a selection, and then mm-hmm. fund those internally um, as ideas that you give um, your employees an opportunity to work on. So long answer is a lot more around that and a lot more what we that we do, but I'll have a team for clarifying questions. I think I think it's a good breakdown, you know, that uh, you differentiate, you know, uh, that basically you're facilitating uh, both internal ex- as well as external innovation. You know, that's that's the way I that's the way I would kind of summarize it, right? So you provide a platform and services. It's also a network of uh, a global network to actually help companies to to achieve that, right? 
So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the external innovation that you have uh, worked with or facilitated. Uh, what have, what has been in recent times been some of the more innovative and maybe even successful uh, innovations that you have come across? Um, I, I prefer like I, I will talk about the general ecosystem, um, and, and partly for that reason for that is because I don't myself get too involved in the individual projects, the outcomes of of uh, these challenges. So right. let me talk a little bit about the uh, Singapore e uh, startup ecosystem and the open innovations ecosystem and how that's working. So right. it's, it's kind of validation that the open innovation model works and that the Singapore government um, is really supporting that model. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been supporting it for quite a few years and, and continues to kind of double down on that. Um, and so they have their own open innovation programs, um, right. uh, I guess, uh, run and, and sponsored and supported by the uh, IMDA. Mm -hmm. um, but then Enterprise Singapore also has their own programs as well. Uh, so one of the big programs we run for Enterprise Singapore, which is a, I would say a successful one, is, is Slingshot. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, it's part of the switch event, which is the Singapore Week of Innovation and Technology, which is one of the biggest innovation, I guess, forums uh, here in Asia, may maybe in the world as well. Mm -hmm. um, and as part of that, they have the Slingshot Pitching Contest, which um, opens up uh, challenge statements, challenge themes to startups from around the world. Um, right. And typically, I think this year we had just under 4,000 startups um, apply. Wow. Um, okay. If we look back a couple of years ago to give a specific, specific example of a winner that came out of that, it was Next Billion AI, and they had a, a, an enterprise mapping solution, um, and they won the Slingshot event. Um, and I think that really accelerated the business through that. They got a lot of exposure to, to venture capitalists and investors. And who knows, it's hard to say if their business would have really taken off without right. that, but I, I think pretty certain to say that they, it was an accelerator for them and, and they really managed to grow their business and, and become quite quite successful now. That was the end of part one of three of our session with Andrew Shuttleworth. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll see you in episode two to continue our discussion on startups and innovation in Asia on this podcast.